0: Thanks to our sponsor today, A.W. Jenkinson Forest Products. Market leaders in the forestry industry, offering everything from site clearances to collection of woodchip nationwide. Wherever your arb needs, A.W. Jenkinson has a fleet of over 900 vehicles, including mobile chippers, grinders and walking floor trailers. Check out all of their services at awjenkinson.co.uk Thanks to our sponsor today, Arbelies, the UK's leading business finance broker for the arb industry. If you're looking to finance a new or used machine, get an instant finance estimate from Arbelies. Find hundreds of trusted machines at arbelies.co.uk or source a machine yourself from any dealer or private seller. Arbelies will spread the cost of ownership with competitive, affordably monthly payments at a market-leading low fixed rate. Play online 24-7 at arbelies.co.uk. Welcome to Season 2 of the All Things Our podcast. We are back to remote recordings for a while, but that's not going to stop us from having some incredible guests on. Today, I'm joined by Henry Guyburn. Henry lost his business, his home and nearly his family due to events in 2019. Now, Henry is the founder of Fail, of the Fail Forward podcast, sorry, where he shares his passion and talks openly about his own personal failure while helping to educate others. Henry, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thanks for having me Tom, it's good to be here.
0: For people who have not come across you unlike myself, I've joined you on Facebook because one of my friends said you need to go and check this guy out, he's doing something completely different and also i finally, finally super excited to say you've got a podcast as well which is doing something a little bit similar to me and it's I think you're the only other person in the industry who's got like, a podcast actually going which is absolutely fantastic. For people who haven't come across you, can you tell us a little bit about yourself?
1: okay yeah thanks for being here tom and it's yeah it's great to have a, a podcast like yours in the industry doing things and for, for the arb industry um yeah so i run the fail forward podcast uh it, where it all started for me is um i left school failed all my gcses as a lot of people do i think find themselves in the arb industry we're not academic um Bumbled around jobs, did lots of different office jobs, and then forever stared out out of a window, thinking, I don't want to be in this suit. I don't want to be in this in this job. This is really boring. So um, I tried being a carpenter and the carpenter that I spent about six weeks with said, no, you've not got attention to detail. (laughs) So the next thing after that is is being a tree surgeon. And fortunately, my mate said to me, oh, my my company are looking for some guys to take on. And uh, I trained up from there. um, And then went and worked for lots of different companies, mainly around Southampton, but we went and worked for City Suburban in London for six months, which to to do the street trees. and then um, in 2008, when the recession hit, yeah. um, I, uh, the company I was working for went under, funny enough, after the story I've got. Um, and um, I then got the opportunity to start my own business um, and then grew a business um, from 2008. Um, and then that's really where the, the fun started to happen.
0: It's weird, you started your business in 2008, I started mine in 2009, and I look back thinking, well, you started that in the middle of a recession, like, who in the right mind would invest all of this money into this kid, and then it paid off somehow?
1: Yeah, well, it's that's very very naive at that point you know you don't really i'm 24 yeah. years old and i think sometimes when you're naive it's the better because if you if you knew everything you knew now you probably do things slightly differently oh, but
0: god yeah I've, we well you can very much relate to that and i can relate to that because i used to yeah. everyone's heard this story my first ever job was five ash trees 25 percent reduction it took me five days to do the job me and a groundsman only charged 250 quid mm. so it it goes again like no one teaches you when you come out of college this is how much you need to charge and this is how you actually do the job it's a case of this how you use a chainsaw this is how you don't kill yourself and then you learn the rest of it
1: yeah it's a very valid point you got there because at college you learn about how to cut trees the science of trees but they don't teach you the business part of it which is
0: is a very valid point <sighs> valid points that's an under understated under, under, can't get my words out today understand it's been a while <laughs> since i've had to do remote recording i usually get to <laughs> sit in front of the guests but um due to all sorts going on i'm, I'm now sat back behind the desk but that that is a big thing and it's one of the reasons i started this podcast is who teaches you to run a business like any any business who who taught that first person to teach the second person, to teach the third person, to come all the way down to the food chain to teach us to.
1: Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. There's a, there. It is definitely, definitely lacking, and it's one of the things that I, I had that was lacking because when I failed all my GCSEs, I put closed that book of learning. Yeah. And my dad taught me, Henry, you've got to work really hard. What you put into life, you get back. Yeah. Um. Which is a great ethos. I mean, it was a great ethos because we've got you know we've got to work hard. But when you're running a big business, mm. working hard just doesn't cut it. You need to be backed up with, with, the, with learning and understanding all the, all the intricate parts of business.
0: Yeah. So no one ever taught me about HR. No one ever taught me about accounting. Like it's, it's really similar because it, it's one of the questions I've got later on, but I'm going to ask it now. Do you ever see a connection between people who have failed in secondary school or have come out with like very little grades who have gone on to be quite successful Compared to people who have gone, got A stars, gone to university, and then at the end of it have got nothing to show of it.
1: Yeah, well, definitely, because I think when you're failing from an early age, you're under, you're learning more, and I think it can also make you more determined, especially if you've got a competitive mindset, which I definitely have. Mm-hmm. You know, I wanted to win at everything all the time, and when you fail and lose, it makes you make makes your drive hungrier and more determined and certainly I was reading a book recently and they were talking about it's a major problem in young girls who are A-star students especially who go through school and I've got a six-year-old daughter and at the moment she's flying she's already doing year two stuff and she's in year one and she's very academic at her age already and my concern is is that she's going to go through life like the the, the, some issues that have been not just girls but boys as well but mainly girls who are very academic and they go through life, always top sets, top grades, as you say, school, college, university. Then they leave and they've all they've done is win, essentially win through through their school life because they've just gone bounce, 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 you know, A yes. star, A star, A star. And that's not life, is it? Life is, it's a school of hard knocks. It's yeah. about experience and learning. And then you sort of go out into the real world and you don't get your first job or your second job or your third job and you've not done anything to, to learn that yeah shit gets real and and you know it is it, tough so looking back at it, i think some of the most famous people like richard branson uh, um and sugar um and all those people they've had either f- weren't, were not academic and they've had failed businesses yeah. and it's just drove them drove them further forward
0: when did you have your like first failure
1: so um my first failure was when my mum she read a book by Richard Branson actually taught teaching um, parents how to bring up entrepreneurial children. Um, so I think I was about seven years old, eight years old at primary school. And I grew up in a little village um, in Suffolk in various Nedmans. And uh, my mum dropped me halfway to school down this cut through, um, which had to walk through a couple of fields and then through a <laughs> graveyard and church. Um, they showed me the weekend before. Yeah. Um, then dropped me off on the Monday at this cut through where there's no roads, but it was a cut through. But I mean, I'm really young. I mean, don't you do that. This, 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 this sort of a, this era that we're in yeah. now. Um, and I got lost and I came back out cause I got, I went halfway down. My older sister told me this story about the, the haunted graveyard and I got lost and then panicked and then walked back out onto the road, walked down to the road to walk to school and fell in a ditch. And a mum pulled me out of this oh, ditch. <laughs> and, um, uh, and yeah, I was so young. I I, I, I remember it as well. And um, the, the teacher was fuming with my parents if yeah. uh, they hadn't let, let them know. <laughs> but I suppose that was my first major failure that I remember. But after that, my wife now says, if there wasn't Tom Toms, you'd be a millionaire because you'd be able to tell everyone where to go because i never get lost. I, I think that failure at that point... After that, I, I, I just don't get lost. Like, if I go somewhere once, i remember it. Like, I'll be yeah. driving through somewhere and go, oh, do you remember here, here like, five years ago to my wife? And she's like, how do you remember that? It's because I think it built my awareness up. So I didn't know what at that point I was failing. It was just, like, this traumatic thing that happens as your kid. Yeah. But I think that was probably the first time that, um, yeah, I, think I, I, I failed. But now I didn't realise until recently. And I look back at it and went, okay, that's why I now mm-hmm. never get lost. Because yeah. I had this moment where things didn't go quite right and then yeah
0: it's interesting because i've seen people who have gone through that path of success in schools and then they've had their first failure and then that's been it and i've seen people who've really gone off the boat who turned to drugs and alcohol i've like i've like what mean you would look at and go well that was a bad day in the office but this person's thinking oh i've i've lost my job i'm never going to be able to get employed again i'm going to be on benefits and how would you try and help someone process that to say Look, it it'll pass eventually. It's just a glitch. Everyone has them. You've not had yours until your early twenties, but you will get through this.
1: Well, it's tough, isn't it? Because you don't want to wrap your children in cotton wool too much, and that's the thing. It's trying to let them be free enough. to make the decisions and build up the cognitive behaviors um you know and i think without going down a rabbit hole about other things but you know we've got so much stuff now with digital screens everything and you know but certainly growing up in the 80s and 90s for me you know there wasn't screens we just had to go out and like play in the woods and like fall over and fall off your bike and you know meet people and have difficult awkward conversations because you're young and you don't know what you're talking about and you know all those kind of things that build up your personality um and quite often now we're we're wrapping kids in cotton wool um because of you know the way we feel about the media and 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 everything that's 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 told to us about how bad the world is Um, yeah don't get me started on the media but
0: like like, i've got (laughs) two kids as well and my little lad fell off his scooter coming bawling his eyes out and i I, like i i love them but i looked at him and went you, what do you want me to do about it? You, the twil, smallest graze on his hand, and it's like, okay. Um, and then his mum comes in and picking her up, cuddling her, and saying everything's going to be all right. And I'm standing there going, Just "Time to get back out on the scooter. He'll be fine in five yeah. minutes." Yeah, and
1: they would learned not to do that again, right?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, everyone, you learned if if your mum says it's hot and you touch it and it burns your hand, you'd never go and do it again.
1: Yeah,
0: exactly. You never go <laughs> and do it again. So you've worked for another company that company's gone bust you started up on your own what was it like in the early days
1: so um, yeah it was we, we I was very fortunate the company that went under I've always been someone that wants to t- tells the world what I want to do what my what, where I want to go whether it's in a job whether it's business whatever. and I've, I've been telling everybody for about a year I want to start my own tree surgery business and the company that went under we were working for a, for an older chap who he just got work. He'd been in the industry for decades and he'd got work and he just he just subbed it out. And we were subbing for this company to him. And I would had a chat with him one day and said, John, I'm gonna go and start my own business one day. And randomly I um, had a summer, there wasn't much work around. It was the first time I'd ever been really unemployed for a long amount of time, it was a couple of months after the business went under and I was trying to find work everywhere and then out of the blue John phoned me up and said, Henry, remember you told me that time yeah. that you want to start your own business? Well should I come and meet me in a pub and we met and met in the checkers pub in four <laughs> marks. Um and he said, Look, you need to start your own business, um, but I can sub you work and I think it was three fifty or four fifty a day at that point for a two man team he was charging us, which was okay money back then. Yeah. Um and um, he said, I can give you some work, um, but you need to buy your own van and chipper and set your business up. And at the time, my credit rating was absolutely shot to pieces from a from a previous bad credit card I had, as as we all seem to do at that age. I was 24, and yeah. I said, I can't get a loan, and he actually went and got the loan, and we paid him back monthly for this. Wow. Um, we got a TP-150 chipper for five grand, and the transit van for, I think, seven or eight grand or something and I had a few tools I'd sort of accumulated over the years Um, and then we started working but we had about three months work with John and what we had to do is work predominantly for him Mm. and then any other work we got we all had to do when we're not working for him or weekends and I was just pricing whenever I can um, and we did about three months work up and this was September 2008 up until Christmas and then suddenly The recession really hit, you know, Northern Rock had gone under, and January came, and I remember it just being really scarce with work. Um, And that year we were doing, some weeks we were doing a day's work, then others we had a week's work, and it was really up and down. But I was so fortunate at that time that my wife was earning, I don't know, 12 grand a year working for a bank and we lived in a bedsit, which was 80 quid 80 quid a week all bills included so it was 40 quid each month and i had it's a garage yeah a single garage out the back of my house for 57 pound a month and i kept all my tools in it Van yeah. reverse right up to it chipper got under we're taking the, the taking the spout off and um it was okay because we didn't really ha- like need much money in, in life at that point we we're still quite young didn't have many bills so we just sort of scraped about for a year or two and just got by and just made enough to live and have a bit of fun still and go to the pub at weekends and things like that um so yeah that's sort of the, the early year or two
0: what do you think of these like lads who come out of college at the moment who are thinking oh these finance these, these, uh, these finance deals are too good to miss and they're going out and they're buying the latest timberwolf chipper or force chipper they're getting an isuzu van or a transit and then they have what you had experienced, loads of work, and then it goes quiet
1: yeah well it's it's that must be tough because it you at first you're just trying to build reputation understanding where you want to be in the market and it's just not only that it's the experience like we've all done it and i think anyone listening to this podcast has got a business when they first started you go out and price a conifer it always seemed to be conifer jobs that were the worst ones keep going oh yeah there's a couple of days on that and then a week later you're still like buried in conifer like thinking i wish i had a better chipper i wish i had put more money on this why am i in the middle of this and there's a lot of experience to be had in especially if you've you know i'd been doing it three years up until that point and i still learn loads and had some like moments where i'm like i'm just you know i've, I've had got three years experience and i'm still not not understanding it all and and it must be tough to go straight from college get financed up to the max and then have the quiet times so that's going to put a lot of stress and strain on your mm-hmm. on your business um so so yeah, it it I uh, it's I don't think some people used to say you had to do two years on the ground before you could even climb. I did six months and I don't quite believe that, but I certainly would say going straight from college to go and start your own business, I think you'd still you'd need to get a couple of years experience first before you go and do that, in my opinion.
0: Yep, I didn't do that. I went straight to college, got me basic I mean like CS thirty, thirty one, thirty eight, thirty nine and then went, Right, Jack and Collagen, gotta go start my own business. Thankfully, I managed to pull it off because I didn't finance anything. I was driving around in a Volvo, I think it was a V70 estate, with some unbranded trailer that I could maybe get 200 kilos of chipping out of push. Um, I had a 171 chainsaw that did absolutely everything, and I had a £500 loan slash purchase from my dad who got me a climbing kit. And it, I would, I'd never tell anyone to do it. It was stressful. Mm. But it was... Quite similar to you as well, um, I was living with Grantham at the time, my rent was about two eighty a month, and that was because it was a one-bed flat, that I had to take everything back to my mother-in-law's house every single night, cram it in her garage, and I'd be there some mornings at 6.30 in the morning, getting the chipper out, getting everything counted, absolutely screaming at me, going, every morning you're waking us up, and then we'd be back at nine, ten o'clock at night, because I would have tried to cram six, seven jobs in just to basically break even every day yeah if, if you're in college and you're listening to the podcast stay in college get your qualifications and then please to god just go work for someone else for a couple of years it's so much easier instead of thinking you can risk everything on the line because if it doesn't work yes you can sell all the equipments and you can go somewhere else but it's that aspect of the failure that will stay with you for a very very long time and you'll kick yourself with it did you apart from doing those couple of months with John did you have anyone else who was giving you advice at the time say this is what you need to do this is how you price jobs up this is how you find people to come and work for you
1: not, not really I just want to go back to a quick point at the last and I'll answer that in a second but I had the best bit of advice I ever had was from one of my managers when I worked for Chris Orr and that was Mark Hines who now runs our pro um, oh yes he said to me Henry to become really good a really good tree surgeon you need to work for a few different firms, not loads, cause you don't want that yep. on your CV, but you need to work for a few different. And that's why I went up to London and worked for a couple of different firms to understand how, cause it, each firm's different. I mean, all tree surgery businesses are pretty chaotic, but each firm has different runs, different ways, has different clients, different sectors, different niches. And it's really important to, to learn that. So I think there's some real, you know, you don't need to be doing it for tens of years to start your own business, but certainly working for a couple of different firms first before you go and start your own business. Um, mm-hmm is a is a pretty pretty good thing to do um but going back to your point um tom uh, i I, the only mentor i really had was my dad um and my dad had run one man bands um and he he sort of gives me gave me advice um but then when it's when it's from a relation, there's a lot of emotion uh, in there, so sometimes the advice can be taken in the wrong way. Certainly, yeah. me as a son, like I, me, me and my dad always had difficult conversations. So he'd tell me a bit, but I was very much, you know, Dad, I'm going to do this. I'll sort this out myself. Very um, probably ignorant to myself, and it was just going out and pricing i kind of knew roughly what the market was doing and i knew what john what i was charging john and i always wanted to try and get a bit more than what i charged john when it was my own jobs but apart from that it was just kind of making it up as i go along essentially
0: yeah i think that's what we all do did you never get the memo never wait with friends or family because i i did that as well i hired friends and those relationships no longer exist because they can never go Right, you're my friend down the pub, but on a Monday morning, you're my boss all of a sudden, and I can't swear at you as much anymore, and I've got to have like a lot more respect. This, this, this isn't working, I'd rather see you down at the pub.
1: Um, I had that exact thing at first. I employed a lot of friends because I just wanted to have this business where I knew everybody and we were all friends, and I thought this is going to be great. But yeah. then actually, the flip side of it is is that a lot of mates see you go oh you know down the pub henry sound oh you won't mind if i'm half an hour late this morning yeah. Henry sound he won't mind if i just quickly do this See henry sound oh, i might want to do this and before you know it people are taking and they're not doing it viciously or in, yeah. in, a, in a really horrible way but it happens and then frustration happens and actually uh my best mate worked for me and um he was a contract he went from ground deal up to contracts manager and in the end we had to go through a disciplinary with, with him and i didn't talk to him for a year after that um he was best friends with my wife so it's really awkward um and now we're friends again but it took yeah. a while to get that and i've had a few different mates work for me and it's it's just mixing friends with business this doesn't work and people say oh no it, it worked for me I'll, I'll be fine we've got a strong relationship but i've seen some of the strongest relationships fall yeah. apart part through business because where, especially when things get tense and things will get tense in business you know business isn't easy i thought i'd nailed it at one point and it was it's not easy but simple um but when things start going wrong that's when it the cracks start to form and and it's you know you need to be able to have difficult conversations with people not shout yeah. and scream but difficult conversations and when you try and do that with friends those conversations are 10 times more difficult
0: yeah the my biggest gripe ever the weird mates rates hmm. right if I'm your friend you can, you know the struggles of me running a business. You know I've openly spoken to you about this person's not paying or I'm having a bad time. But I can clearly come around and do the job for you for half the price than what I normally charge. Why why do, why can't friends just like support each other? And so one of my friends is a taxi driver. Absolutely fantastic guy. Every time I've got on a taxi, I've always paid them more. And he's never understood. Like the meter says a tenant, I'll give him like 15 quid. And it's a case of, because I know how hard you have to work for this. He's the only person I'll ever overpay time and time after again. And he's the only guy with. If, if I've had a problem, I can always rely on him. Because I've never took the piss out of him and he's never took the piss out of me. But I've got other friends who have gone off, done work for them. And if I've needed to move house or something, oh no, I'm busy. I've got something planned that weekend. And it's like, well, I scratch your back, you scratch mine. And you, you quickly realise, all right, they kind of just want, want, want.
1: Yeah, well, they definitely do, and they always want more. Um, and uh, you're right there, like mates. Mates, it should just be, you know, uh, at the same price, or if not more, not more, but you know, the same price yeah. because it's that's the way it is. And um, you're right, mates' rates is a frustrating world to be in.
0: It is. Do you have to have a big business to be successful?
1: No, I think defined success for me to de- define success it's setting some goals in your life and reaching those goals and that can be anything from having just a small company um but that small company means that you can take a certain amount of time off or the your yeah. family it's, i think success is completely defined down to the individual person and someone's idea of success can be completely completely different to others and i think that's where um the frustration in the world is moment you flick through Facebook and you see someone else who's got a new muni mug and you've got someone else that's got a 360 of a sheer and you've got someone else that's got all the latest kit and it makes you feel inferior and it can give you some really negative thoughts um, mm. because everyone shows their best life on social media, right? Um, oh, yeah. and, 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 and the reason why I'm relating to this is because it, I think the way to filter that is to know that what, your goal is and having a goal of where you want to be and then de- and defining your success on your own goal not other people's
0: but why does everyone think success is not hundreds if not millions in the bank like success for me for personally for me right now is series two of the podcast like we just completed series one that was 30 episodes I've got to travel all over the uk something which i never thought i'd do and get paid to do and now season two, is it's like oh yeah that's it's a little it's those little wins it's like when you've you get like a new piece of equipment and you learn how to master it that's success but i see it all the time when people first start out they always have to try and like keep up with a business next to them so like they've got like a new tree shear and when i see a business with all this equipment at the moment i'm thinking those finance payments because there's no way like any there'll be a couple of tree surgeons out there that's got enough in the bank to go yeah i'll go and spend underground on a Vana chip a brand new setup but like a lot of businesses are going right this has to make us money every single day this piece of equipment goes out it has to make us money because there's someone above me that needs to get paid at the end of every week every month every day so yeah success needs to be defined and it has to be unique to yourself it's not just money it's if you got that tree down if you if you said two days to do that job took you that success for some people
1: well, I define my success in how much time I can spend with my family, you know, um, and, and that's the key because I've been in a place where it's, we, I've I've had a lot of kit, a lot of staff, but I had no time and I'd barely yeah. got to see my kids and I definitely wasn't successful. And then like, I think for me, my def- definition of my own success is having businesses that work for me without me having to work in it so yeah. I can spend time with family if i want to take a couple of weeks off and everything runs smoothly i come back and everything's just as i left it that's success to me um but that doesn't mean that's the same for somebody else someone else might want 100 guys someone else might want all the fancy kit or someone might just want to work they have a, two guys working for them just going out and just just doing um you know mm-hmm. doing tree work every day
0: was there any like key moments that you learned in the first year run your business oh I need to make note of that for next year or oh, this has made a big difference to how I'm going to run my business going forward
1: um in the first year, I don't know, it was just all about survival, really. I think yeah. at that point I wasn't even I was so aware of my own self to be analysing what I needed to do the following year. It was just like, get by this week, get by this month, make the finance payments to John, make sure I keep up with him, and we just keep trying to get as much in the diary as possible so we can keep working. That was kind of my key aim. I'd say even for the first few years, I was 24, and it wasn't actually until I was 27, till I got married, till I actually went, okay... Now I'm feeling ambitious. Now we're thinking about having a family, and we're I'm married, and life's getting real, and like I need to start, you know, pushing things forward. Um, and I think that's when things start getting interesting.
0: So, how big did HR is It, it is H R G Tree Surgery, isn't
1: it? Yeah, it was. It was the first business was H R G Tree Services. Um,
0: tree Services, sorry, I'll I'll, I'll go back. So. Yeah. Um, so, how big did the first three stages of business get to?
1: So we got to forty-seven staff.
0: Oh, crikey! Mm. <laughs> I want to pay forty-seven people's mortgage a month. Yeah, that's fear it, in my eyes. There were
1: some months when we would just get to payday and we would still not have all the money, and somehow we would work magic to get people. You know, by four o'clock yeah. that day, we'd get people paid. Uh, when it was that was when it was bad. It was it was really tough to try and get people paid. But one thing. Is that I would always make sure the staff are paid, like over yeah. even myself. Out of anything, any other bill being paid out of the business, the the like my whole business model was always based on a good company culture with looking after the staff. And I think in the early days, that's certainly how I managed to grow because I didn't have the business acumen. But one thing I did was look after the staff, and one thing that people don't necessarily realise is that when you look after staff, it was all about me looking after staff because I respected everybody and I'd had some really shit jobs before where I'd had people shouting at me and, you know, sales jobs with people kicking off. And I was always like, I never want to be that boss. So I always want to make sure I look Mm -hmm. after my staff. But what actually happened is when you look after your team, they put 130% in for you. They stay late. They do. They, they turn up on time. They do more. Like our customer service was amazing and we've never done any customer service training. But because they because I cared about them, they cared about the job and what they did. Um so that's how we kept getting more customers by delivering good customer service and good quality work all the time.
0: It's being made to feel respected as well and wanted within the business, instead of just going it's a nine to five job. Yeah, I mean it, it, I see it all the time. I've had a good couple of people who worked for me. And I've had other people who've come along and simply went, oh yeah, by the way, your invoice is overdue by two days, I'm going somewhere else. And you think, oh, okay, right, I don't really want to use parts of my team going forward. So I completely agree with you, it makes a big difference when your team has that respect from you and vice versa.
1: Yeah, definitely, and I think the old school way of, like, a lot of bosses you say, well, I pay them, their paycheck is their thanks. Oh. And you're like, no, yeah. who that's the, that's the minimum they get for turning up and doing a good job. Like the thanks is on a Friday afternoon. We used to buy a crate of beers every Friday once everything was packed up, you know, everyone have a beer. We still do it now. Everyone's got to be packed up, all kit away. And there's, there's a crate of beers and a beer for the boys before they go home. Um, you know, and just saying, hey guys, you're packed this month. Thanks for your commitment. You know, thanks for, thanks for your commitment you've given to the business yeah it doesn't have to be a huge amounts but it's just it's sometimes it's the small things that that just help show people that are appreciated because you know you know tree surgery everyone listening to this podcast knows tree surgery some days you're in the trenches some days you're doing really shit mm. jobs you know it's not all just nice pruning all the time there are some long drags there's some shit jobs and when you get people showing their commitment and everyone working as a team that needs to have some gratitude for it as a as a boss or a or, or, or your managers running the company you need to have gratitude for the work that the guys put in because it's tough, it's hard work
0: yeah, the easiest way I've worked out who to find out who are who are committed to working with you or who just want a paycheck is to say we Connie Bashan in the pissing down <laughs> rain, first thing on a Monday morning when you had a late night on a Sunday yeah. if they turn up at half six in the morning they're either completely insane they've not been to bed or they actually enjoy working for you it's the easiest way to weed <laughs> people out yeah, definitely yeah so my main reason for reaching out to you which it's i, I don't know how you do it to be honest i don't know how you can it's, I'm, I'm making this sound really bad aren't i Craig? i don't know how you can sit there and talk about this like how dare you <laughs> you lost your business yeah when did you start to notice it was going wrong or were you just that blindsided
1: so um we we grew the business i got a contract with um ssc which is a u- utility R come uh, dno um and we grew quite quickly up to about 30 staff um and then we won this amazing contract that was day rate um and we were getting paid a great day rate we were getting paid for our van our chipper our mute um all the kit that we put out on site we got paid for and it was fantastic so we did about 18 months I think on that where we were earning pretty good money and that's when I said earlier I thought business was simple at that point because the rates we put on were kind of similar to the other businesses there was about 30 contractors on that contract and you know they're all about similar similar amount so um, I knew the rates were good and business was good money was coming in looked at the bank account there's money in the bank great we're making money Um, and at that point um, We've done about 18 months on it, and we got a phone call saying that the, biz, the 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 ssc have spent, this was in September, sSC have spent too much, and the budget starts in April, obviously, um, and by yeah. September, we had a phone call saying they've already spent most of their budget. If we carry on going, the money's going to run out by Christmas, so we're completely changing the contract from this lovely day rate contract, and we're going to put everything out to price. Um, so Oof. at that point, I decided to keep all my staff on because I again knew like everyone's kids' names, gerbil's names, you know knew I yeah. had this really bond like everyone we didn't have a revolving door of staff, and most people have been with me for a few years, and we just built this really good team, so I didn't lay anyone off um. We decided to go out and start pricing. But what happened is 30 contractors were given a very small amount of work to go and price. And everyone then was getting this Dutch auction kind of scenario where everyone was pricing down, pricing down, pricing down. Not only did that, did SSE then go and employ 30 people to go out auditing us to ensure that. Because the first thing when you get price work that gets cut <laughs> is quality and safety. So they wanted to ensure yep. that. So we were then getting kicked off site, left, right and centre because we didn't have a scabbard on our silky or we didn't have you know, something like a tick on a method statement, these crazy things happening. Yeah. Then the work wasn't getting done. Productivity was dropping, morale was dropping. We'd priced low on some work. Well, not that low, that, that was ridiculous, but we'd priced what we thought was competitively to be able to crack out the spans and the work to be able to get it yeah. done and then suddenly we are not been able to be productive. So we did that for about a year with just about... Um, breaking even and 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 not losing a huge amount but not making a huge amount Um, then SSE completely changed the contract and we came fifth in that contract and this is where the the mistakes really start to happen at that point we'd finished fifth um, and um, we then just made the decision again not to lay the guys off but then go and sub to the number one company when at that point what i should have done is laid off 80 percent of the firm Started again yep. with like, this was we're still about 35 people at this point. Um, we should have gone down in numbers, gone back to maybe eight or nine people um, and then rebuilt and waited for it to blow over and either gone back onto SSE in the future or just found work elsewhere. SSE, a very, very, um, very, what's the word in, in the most keeping my integrity? <laughs> just take a lot of your energy. They, they need a lot yeah. from you. So when you're working for them, they take a lot of your energy. So you can't put your energy into other things to, to we always try to move and build 50, 50. So we were 50% utility, 50% commercial and domestic. Um, but where they take a lot of your energy, you're in delivery mode or, or, or firefighting all the time. Mm-hmm. So anyway, at that point, we then went and sub to the number one contractor, grew in staff to try and do more work on smaller margins. And, um, and then that's when things started really st- I started realizing they're going wrong because we were going up and up in staff um we were some months we were making huge money and the next month we'd, we'd, we'd yeah. lose huge money and it was this roller coaster and that's when I really, really started to feel I'm out of my depth I haven't got a clue what I'm doing like that this is not simple like I thought it was when we were making good money that this yeah. is really not going well and I started just telling people I'm um, as you can see I talk a lot I don't I, I'm quite comfortable with vulnerability I'm quite comfortable telling people my my worst fears secrets whatever you want to call them um and I just started telling people shit sit in the fan things are going wrong and my neighbor said to me oh look um have you tried a business coach I was like what's one of them what's a business coach <laughs> um and I had this moment of what's a business coach Well, oh, someone that coaches people in business and understands okay cool uh, let me speak to him and I remember this guy coming in and uh, the first thing he did uh, was say where's your profit and loss where's your cash flow forecaster and where's your balance sheet and I was like oh um yeah I've got my profit and loss it's in the filing cabinet cash flow forecaster what's one of them uh you sure. know balance sheet yeah I think that's in the filing cabinet um and at that moment I suddenly realized that I hadn't been doing business in a correct way at all I had just been building and building on you know, the culture and looking after the staff, trying to get more work in, which I was very good at getting more work in, and winning work. I just wasn't very good at the, the real fundamental foundations of what I call, I've got four what I call foundations of a business, and that's numbers, systems, sales and marketing, and culture. And obviously I was doing culture okay. Um, didn't yeah. have any systems. Doing sales and marketing okay, because we were getting work in, um, but probably not that well, really, when you look back at it. And then numbers were just completely missing. And the number one for me, foundational pillar of any business is numbers. And I've learned that now. Um, And another thing Jeff did, my coach, is he said, Henry, you need to read this book. And I said, oh, no, 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 I don't do learning. I don't do learning, I failed all my GCSEs, that failed me. He said, no, no, Henry, your business is in a bad way now. You need to read this book if you want me to coach you. I can help you, but you need to understand you need to read. And it was this light bulb moment. I started reading this book. It was called One Minute Manager Meets the Monkey. And I suddenly started reading, understanding that I was the guy, basically the book, if you, if you know it, is about how to manage people and how um, people have monkeys, which is like your their problem of the day that, that they need. And they'll come up to me and say, yes. like, Henry, can you reverse the chipper in? And I'll be like, yeah, I'll go and reverse the chipper in. And then yeah. they go. There's a reason why you're the boss because I've versed it in really well. Um, or they'd say, Henry, yeah. I need this looking at or I need that looking out I go, Yeah, I'll sort that. I'll sort that. And they, I remember people saying to me all the time, Henry, there's a reason why you're the boss. And I'd be like, Yeah, there's a re- ego inflated. There's a reason why I'm the boss. Not realising the whole time I was completely disempowering my staff. Yeah. You know, I was just taking their problems and solving them for them, and they weren't solving it themselves. They weren't using youtube or they weren't going and reading a manual or just trying it failing as we talk about failing and then working it out because i was the guy in the cape so anyway he gave me this book and i was reading it it as a light bulb moment and then after that i suddenly realized that i i needed to learn more and that's when it really opened me up to start going down this rabbit hole of spending lots of time and money on courses on books and then that's when things started to change but it, the company was already in a bad state and we couldn't carry it on.
0: Yeah. So yeah, books, it's interesting that you talk about books because that's something that, again, same as you, never read up until probably about a year and a half ago. And at that time, I should have invested, got shares in Waterstones because I've got a ridiculous amount of self-development books, um, business books, marketing books, um, like even like mental health books as well. Because you don't realise how much your mental health plays in how successful your business is. It sounds to me you've done, you've done something that everyone does, is you get consumed by the business and you start working for the business instead of on the business. And then another thing um, that Harley from KW Tree Care, if you're not listening to that podcast, uh, "Money grows on trees" or something like that, really worth it because he, he. Um, I don't know if it's like made a statement or something, but he said something along the lines. and I could be wrong, but you, you know what I'm like, and you know what the podcast is like. You can either be a tree surgeon or you can be a businessman, but it's very hard to do both successfully. Yes. What are your thoughts? Yeah,
1: um, definitely. The, uh, the, you have to, you, uh, if you want to be a tree surgeon, and like we were talking about earlier, if your goal is to run a small business which has just got a couple of guys working for you or one guy working for you, then you're going to be a tree surgeon. Um, if you want to have a business that runs for you and you can go off on holiday for six months and it comes back and it's fine, you need to be a businessman and that's the the difference. And it's something quite controversial, but I don't think you've got a business if you can't do that. I think it's just a job that's actually underpaid and overworked because if you've got a business that you're working in all of the time, And you're going out and you're doing the work, you're pricing in the evenings, you're pricing at the weekends, you're doing the invoicing at 11 o'clock at night, um, you're getting up early in the morning to do the quoting. It's just a job. It is literally just a job. And you're getting generally at that point, you're getting paid not that much more when you work it all out at the end of it. Um, And if that's what you generally want from life, then that's okay. But I don't think that's what most people get into to start their own business most people get into business because they want more time and in the in the yeah. end they then have less time because they're working around the clock and I think you're right I for me to become to create a successful business I had to take, come completely off the tools and even pricing work I had to really be working as you say on the business and constantly working on the fundamentals which like i to me is the set numbers sales and marketing systems and culture and really getting those right yes there's lots of other things that come into a business like delivery and operations and things but generally you're already doing that quite well because you're a tree surgeon you understand that part. it's the real business bits that need to happen and, and and i think you could still have that even if you had you know you don't have to be a big company you don't have to have 10 teams 20 teams 30 teams you know i actually think that for me a, a good size tree surgery business is either three teams or six teams in my opinion like we've got in the new business now we've got five teams we're aspiring to have six teams with two managers and an and an office manager and i always say a surveyor or manager to three teams or two two to three teams works quite well um and that's enough of a business structure for me now to only need to do 4 hours a week in that business and i can go away on holiday for 3 months and come back and the business is still running you know i still i have an oversight on the business but yeah i think your your yeah my my opinion on that is that you 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 need to be if you want a business that works for you and you want time back then you need to be a businessman
0: yeah because even now, we can pretty much guarantee people download this podcast all hours of the day and there will be someone right now, it, it's like quarter to nine at night for us, and they are doing invoices, they are writing quotes, when in reality, they should be sitting at home, spending time with the family, not having to do all of this.
1: Definitely,
0: I think a lot of people think they have to work 12 hours a day to make the business su- successful, when in reality, the business is making you work 12 hours a day. You're not; Those 12 hours aren't going to make you a penny more, but when you start to pull back and you do hire the right people, that's one thing people really struggle about to go right. If I hire someone, they've got to be able to replicate everything I do, and then the next person's got to be able to replicate them. Instead of just hiring people specifically for those roles to deal with either the HR, or the office admin, or to just specifically go out and quoting work, they never realize, including myself, I'll hold my hands up to this. Never realize how much time you spend working and if you actually work that down to the T, you are probably paying yourself less than minimum wage but because you see loads of money in the bank and because you see your lads working and people are saying, oh you've won that job, you've won that, it's like a false sense of being successful.
1: Mm-hmm. Well it is, I had all the kit, all the yard, everything, massive yard kit and everything and I thought I was successful and I definitely wasn't um, but going back to what you're saying, I think just to give people context listening to this, because I don't want everyone to think that, oh, you've got to go out and employ loads of people to do all your, all your yeah. stuff to start off with. Like there is a chicken and egg thing, and maybe for the first year or two, you are going to yeah. be in the trenches and have to have long days. But as, that's okay, as long as you've got a goal to go, I know I'm in the trenches right now, I know I'm doing the, what I call the 10 pound an hour tasks, which are the invoicing, the quoting, and all these things. And I know I'm doing that, but I'm going to only do that for a year while I get enough cash flow, I get the business off the ground, because in a year's time, I'm then going to start employing people because I've got people on my mastermind, guys on my mastermind that are right at that stage at the moment. It's a bit of a chicken and egg kind of situation. Mm. You know, they, they're still doing that, you know, work in the evenings, which I think's OK, as long as you're not going to do that for the next 10 years. You know, you've yeah. got to have a be in a position where you can go, OK, I'm going to do this for you. I'm going to be in the trenches. It's going to be chaos. I'm going to get this business going. And then it's just being wise with who you employ. You don't have to necessarily go and employ an office person straight away. You can go and use a virtual assistant, which we've got abundance of now. You can use virtual assistants in the Philippines for three pound an hour, which which isn't slave labour, by the way. It's actually she spoke to a Philippines VA the other day, and she said if they work a forty hour week, they're getting paid the same as a doctor because it's four dollars an hour for them. You can use HR consultants. You can use marketing consultants. You know, you don't have to employ all these high-level people. You can just tap into different people's, you know, and use them without having to have a whole team around you. But it's definitely very much needed to run a successful business is to have more people doing what I call the £10 an hour tasks.
0: Yeah, that is one of the, the big misconceptions. You have to have lots of people working for you straight away or you have to know everything, and again, I can I'm really relate to this podcast, because that's what I did, I went, right, if I'm going to do this, I need to have someone to be able to do this, and someone to do this, and they have to work for me full-time, right, what's that going to cost, I've got to make an extra 120 grand a year, just to have these people, and then someone would come along and say, well, why don't you just get this consultant in, or why don't you get this in, and it came down to but what if that person says something to one of my competitors I and mean, then my competitor knows what I'm doing? It's that fear and those misconceptions of going, actually, the consultant's aspect of getting people into work when you need them will advance and grow your business far quicker than you having to get someone. Bring them in, train to that standard for them to then turn around to you and say, all right, here's my two weeks' notice and I'll leave leaving." Did you, when SSE changed their contracts multiple times did you ever find yourself doing a rinse and repeat and expecting a different outcome
1: yeah well there's that famous saying um by um is it einstein doing the same
0: i know exactly what it is yes. but i can't think doing... of it so that's why i said yeah. the rinse and repeat <laughs> doing the
1: same thing over and over and again but expecting yes. different results and i was that guy i was the definition yes. of insanity you know i was trying to do work on the same contract with the same people trying to, to get more out of the staff, trying to get more time on site, you know, more spans cut, more things done when I should have been. And, and you know, I, I think, and actually I know, there's something very powerful about putting the white flag up and saying, I'm not doing this anymore. And that's what I should have done. And if I had the right numbers and I'd been seeing the numbers and I'd had all the right information in front of me i probably would have m- made it easier to make more of a powerful decision um but i think i wasn't strong enough a person to make that decision i was i was a weak person at that point and i'm happy to admit that I, I wasn't happy to be it but i'm happy to admit it because a, a strong business owner at that point would have gone this isn't working. We're laying all the staff off. We're going down to however many we need to cut right back. We're going to get rid of a load of big kit. We're going to get rid of this big, big yard and we're going to go smaller. And that's what a, a really good businessman would have done. And that, and some people might call that ruthless because, but those people working for me would have got, I felt bad about to lay them off. Yeah. They would have gone and found another job. they would have been okay. They would have done. Yes. It would have been sad. Um, and I just don't think I was—I don't think I was had a strong enough p- business sense to be able to make that decision. Like I, I say in my podcast, um, failure is only a negative if you do not learn from it, and yeah. to never give up. But I always put a caveat with that: never give up. You know, it's okay to pivot and and to, and, and and go and go left and right. Going giving up is just you know laying off all the guys and just folding the business up in, in in that terms
0: it's that like i've had it where i've not wanted to let people go but i've had to but no one ever teaches you or you you never expected to experience that side of the business ago well, i've been growing for the last 5 years um things have gone wrong but technically i'm always meant to keep on growing growing the business i'm never meant to have a downward spiral or i'm never meant to lay people off Everyone who works for me, they're gonna work for me for the next fifty years, I'm gonna look after them. I I can ask you the question now why didn't you just go like what what stopped you from saying, right, we just need to let these ten, fifteen people go, things are gonna improve? Was it the fact that you just didn't know you had that option, you didn't have the experience or the understanding of things can go backwards but still move forwards?
1: Um, I didn't. I was always very positive, always very positive mindset um so I always thought we could just work it out and trade out of it that I'd work things out that I'm hard working yeah I'm determined and I'm positive so I'll work it out I was probably pig-headed I was a bit ignorant to what's going on I didn't understand insolvency and the fact that you can end a company and start another one um and and just to give the listeners context it's not as easy as that <laughs> just to give you context yeah. there's a lot that goes on and it's extremely stressful and it's not easy in any form whatsoever but I didn't understand what that meant um, and insolvency in business and business and that kind of thing um, so I and I, don't, I just wasn't I just didn't have the, the the numbers to make the decisions and I think that's what it really comes down to is, is just having the right information in front of me um, there's a really good book called Switch by Dan and Chip Heath and he explains how, that we've got two parts of our brain that makes makes up our decisions and one is our emotional part of our brain and the other is the thinking part and if you imagine the elephant uh, sorry the, the think the emotional part as an elephant and the thinking part as a rider That actually your emotion, you're always going to make decisions by emotion because your elephant's always going to win, but you need your thinking part, which is the rider needs to try and influence the direction of your emotional brain. And that's where more and more giving it more and more real facts, real information can make the right decisions with your elephant, with the emotional side. But I didn't have the thinking part at that point. I didn't have a rider because I didn't have the right business understanding, the numbers and everything. So I was just making decisions on emotion all the time. You know, and, yeah. and if you're anxious, stressed, and you're emotioned, then you're making really bad decisions. And I think that's probably one of the biggest things is is, is that I was positive, drive, drive, determination. And I didn't have the right information to make those 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 decisions. And I probably didn't have the have the bottle to make those big decisions.
0: Yeah. Um, I'm going to just like change my next question. Yeah. Did you try and hide it from anyone when the business was failing or was it your mind was overtaken? I was hiding it for you.
1: So my wife kept, my wife kept saying to me things aren't right. Are they? And I certainly didn't probably tell her the full story. She was also heavily pregnant through the time with my second child, Ned. Um, actually when the insolvency practitioner first came in and said the business has got to end or oh, you've got to trade positively and for the next 12 months um, I still tried trading because she was about three weeks yeah. away from giving birth um, so <laughs> I was it, you, oh, the stress man there was days when I I remember one day I walked through the front door and I just cried my eyes out I was literally yeah. just there so many things were happening. We had a, a in, invoice factoring company and I knew things were bad and I was trying to deal with it in my positive, you know, I, I gave up drinking for a while. I was in the yard every morning at 6am. I was constantly trying to problem solve, trying to work out how to get, how to work it out. Um, so yeah, I was I was definitely not telling my wife the full truth about what's going on, and she was trying to help me, and I wasn't in a position to listen to anybody at that point. I was still quite big headed. Yeah,
0: yeah. I think if you do face failure within yourself, you do go a bit big headed, uh, not big headed, pig headed. Yeah. Sorry. Where you just go, they don't know what they're talking about. They're not seeing everything, and because you're hiding it, that's why they're not seeing mm-hmm. everything. Did any of the lads at the time start? like whispering behind your back thinking hang on Henry's going a little bit off the rails there this this isn't quite working out work isn't coming in as much
1: well the thing is we always had plenty of work because we had so much work on SSC they had so much to give us it just wasn't very good good high value work so you know I think a few of the people closer to me in the office you know we had a, at this point we had about 11 people in the office out of 47 um and I don't think it was the lads on the ground that saw it, but certainly one thing I know, and this is where I had the culture right in some ways, but I didn't have it systemized. So everyone yeah. knew it inside now. You know, everyone knew the vision, the mission and the values of the business. And certainly one thing that was said to me is when you come in and you're in a good mood and things are going well, the whole, the whole office is lifted.
0: Yeah.
1: When things, when the shit's hitting the fan, everyone can tell because I was the culture. And this is where yeah. I'm not it now in my business now. I was the culture because I brought the positivity, the happiness, everything into the business. And people, people um, sort of lived off of that. Henry's in a great mood, so the whole office is in a great mood. Henry's in a shit mood, so the whole office is feelings, feeling the pressure. Um, so I think they could see that. Certainly the office team could see that when the, when the shit was hitting the fan, how stressful it was. When the insolvency practitioner came in, it was like the Grim Reaper coming in. It was the most depressing yeah. thing in the world. Um and I think pe- you know people could definitely see that, but one thing, even up until the last, final days we didn't have that many people leave. People were there till the bitter end um because i I'd earned the respect of the team and mm-hmm. the commitment i'd given them all the time. They gave it back when I actually laid everyone off, it was one of the most emotional things I've ever done, and any there was tears from both sides. Um, because we'd had this great company and this great group of guys and we literally went then from, over the six months before, we'd gone from 47 down to about 35 and then we then had to go down to nine.
0: Jeez, that's that uh, there. Can't, can't imagine it. Never been in that position, won't try to imagine it, but all I can think, like the times where I've had really good people work for me and I've said, oh, we kind of don't need you anymore. Even now, I've went, I hope I'm going to see him again. Yeah. But to have forty-seven members of staff, and then for the insolvency practitioner to come in, did you did you feel like an an imposter at that time? Like you were, it was all. Did it feel like it was just a dream?
1: It just felt like I was in this. It felt like it was went on forever, when actually it was in in life terms. I think this had been it had gone over about a year and a half. It was it was really bad, but it felt like every day. And I was and by this point, I was doing self development, and I was reading these books, and I started implementing all these things. And I remember there's one good book called called The Compound Effect, and they talk about momentum, and they call it Big Mo. And I'm like, I'm I'm doing all these things. I'm doing A B C D. I'm doing what the book's telling me. I'm doing everything. And I remember going to my coach at the time. Where's my momentum? why is this not happening and each each we met every two weeks and every two weeks it just felt like I wasn't getting anywhere and we were going backwards I'm thinking I'm doing everything right now but um I don't think I I understand imposter syndrome and I understand it but I don't think I ever ever got to that point because I was always quite a positive confident person I just certainly felt out of depth and like I didn't know what I was doing I've always wanted to be in my terms, successful and run a successful business or multiple businesses. So I was always determined to push on. Um So yeah, it was just it was just felt like it went on forever. It really did. It felt like the longest year and a half of my life.
0: Yeah. Would you say SSE had you basically by the balls for for it to be affected? That because that was the main reason. Yeah. Why it started going down. It was great in the glory days where they were paying the day rates and then they changed it and then changed it again and then it just got tougher and tougher to wear. Because, like you said, they absorbed that much of your energy. You were able to focus on the other aspects of the business that needed running.
1: Yeah, they did have us by the balls, but that wasn't their fault. That was my fault. You know, I I can, I can could blame SSE and the, to the to the cows go home, I could blame so many different things. Yeah. But ultimately, it was me that had caught uh, had got in that position. It was me that made the decisions to not lay the guys off. It was me that made the decisions to scale up. It was me that made the decisions to go and subcontract for lesser rates than what we we put in um you know i i after the business went under, I was in a hole for about three months of complete despair depression we'd got the we'd gone over the hump we'd got the business. Yeah. Um, restarted, uh, Mike. Netley, an absolute legend. He worked for me from a groundsman. He's now my commercial manager. And Sophie, my office manager, um, she's still working with me. They practically ran the new business. We were working, we went and we had a couple of guys worked went worked for Dave Bora, who is like my father figure in the tree surgery industry. We subbed to him in the early years and then we didn't do work for him for quite a few years. And then when the business went under, he took two of our teams for about three months. So we had two teams out of him and another team working. And I went missing in my head for about three or four months because the I, all through the build-up to the business going under, I was sober, didn't drink anything, I was on point every single day, turning up early, getting stuff done. It was actually after the business went under, and I know we're going a bit sideways on your original question, but I'll get back to the point. Um, it I, That's when it really kicked home. Um, once we'd restarted and I was over-drinking, over-eating, really... I, terrible mental health um, and one of the reasons why is because I had to hold myself accountable and I, ha- I read a book called Black Box Thinking um, by Matthew Syed and it's all about how yes. failure is the key to success, it talks about the aviation industry and um, I'd, I, my old coach had always talked about accountability as well and I'd not really understand what he meant by accountability, accountability, responsibility um and then blaming it and then blaming excuses was the lower end of that and in, in you want to be ac- accountable and the reason why I'm saying this is that I could sit here and say oh it was SSE they hit me by the balls they changed the contract they were terrible etc etc but if I do that then I'm ignorant to my own what I actually did wrong and it wasn't them yes they were a difficult client to work for but they're they've got health and safety got to be the highest they are a massive company that need to have their accident levels low they need to be doing everything by the book and they're and you'll find that with all the big companies you work for highways um you know network rail they're huge companies so they have to be a highly um i can't think of a word for it but you know a high level of health and safety paperwork and everything that goes with it so that wasn't It was all down to me, and I had to hold myself accountable. I had to stare down the barrel of all the things that I'd done wrong, all the decisions that I'd made wrong. And if I hadn't, if I'd have blamed everyone, I'd just be doing the same thing, and I'd be doing that thing. The definition of insanity is doing the same thing over and over again, and expecting different results, if I had just blamed other people. Um, So I had to hold myself accountable, and I had to learn from the failure. And the only way to do that is by writing. I wrote a document, what, what went wrong, everything that went wrong. And I still look at it now to go, am I doing that? And I'm still not doing everything perfectly off that document. No. I'm certainly not running a perfect business. And I'll I never say that I, you're always improving, always learning. But I know that's a really long, long answer to your question. But I just wanted to give that it's some It's a context. great answer.
0: And it's the key word, accountability. Because I, I guarantee it right now. someone just listened to that and went, oh, shit, yeah that's that's exactly what i need to do and do you know I what to counter...
1: it was lots of little bad decisions as well it wasn't one big bad decision like i talk they talk about the compound effect you can make good, lots of good decisions every day you know spend less eat less whatever it is and your bank yeah. balance your weight will drop or whatever i was making lots and lots of bad decisions on a regular basis which then compounded to the big failure mm-hmm. and i think that's you know that's something that was that was huge that i learned
0: that's for someone who takes accountability himself and learned the hard way, like you. That's a case of wish I met you a couple of years ago because I've been in <laughs> a bit of a better place now. But I learned the hard way. It sometimes it's the only way to a,
1: learn, you know. Because we, yeah, we we it's can't a see
0: bitter it. And tough pill to swallow. Because even now, friends look at me and go, "Well, that person did this and that person did that." And, but then you you've got to say something. Yeah, but I instructed that person to do it Mm. so it's me at the end of the day just because someone else made i I know people hate me swearing on this podcast but just because someone else made the fuck up doesn't mean it's all their fault i told them to go and do it and it it takes a really i'm like like you're struggling for the words it takes a really i don't know if bold is the right word to use but it takes a certain type of person to go it takes a certain type type of person to just hold hands up and say it ends with me Mm. it it started with me, it ends with me I can't put the blame on other people completely.
1: Well it attacks your ego and that's the thing, when you're having to take accountability, we've all got egos We, everyone has an ego and yeah. the ego doesn't have to be massive or it can be a small ego but we all do we all have self-preservation of our own personalities and if we're constantly blaming ourselves for everything then that's going to have a detriment to our confidence so it's kind of like a, this thing and I, I think so that, you know you sat there saying you know i will learn the hard way i think a lot of people do you know my wife was telling me all the time henry do your numbers do, you do this no 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 be fine it be fine it be fine it be fine it be fine and then i learned the worst way right so um it, it's a very it's a very deep thing to do and it's 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 difficult just to get you know hold your hands up because we do want to protect ourselves and we don't want to constantly be you know putting ourselves down but it is a very powerful thing to be able to hold yourself to account um for the things that we do
0: how did you manage to get your, yourself out of the hole? Because before, you, you didn't do sovereignty practice and there was there, so you're really busy. The hump happened and then it was that lull. How did you manage to get yourself out of that lull?
1: Well, that was June 2019 and actually that lull went on for six months now looking at it because it was actually, um, I had a terrible Christmas, me and my wife weren't getting on, we had to work out, we had to sell our family home. We, it wasn't repossessed, really but we were, had 200Ks worth of personal debt from from personal guarantees, credit cards, and personal loans. And the easiest way, we had 200Ks worth of equity in our house, so the easiest way was to sell our house. So I spent months living on friends' sofas, living in hotel rooms, because I didn't want to argue in front of their kids. I'd come home for a bit, everything would be okay, and then we'd argue again, and I'd be drinking too much, which would make things worse. Um, and this happened for about up until about Christmas. We had an awful Christmas um, and because I just wasn't very present and I wasn't a very good. I just wasn't being a very good human being. And I went, right, things aren't working out. My son by this point was a year old. And I looked back and went, I've barely seen my son for the last year. When Esme was born, she was with businesses when we had this day rate contract. I'd spent I got to spend a lot of time with her. I had lots of days off, lots of time off of her. And I bonded with him really well. Ned, um, first year, barely saw him. And really depressing Christmas. And I went, right, that's it. I've got to quit alcohol. Need to quit alcohol. Need to get myself back out of there. And I went to quit alcohol for three months just to to detox. And I think, what, we're now two and a half years on, I've still not drank. Um, and I don't drink at all anymore um, and I've drunk most of my life since about 13 years old and that was the start of m- me remaking myself I then started doing networking and turning up to networking events I'm a confident person the first networking event I went to I was shivering like sh- like a you know S- I don't swear Essie dog um, and uh, I was nervous and felt terrible and went networking and actually it was great for my confidence and I then start basically sat in an office for the next year even through COVID and I did all the sales and marketing in the business and started growing the business and I was focused on one thing and that was growing a business and doing it the right way. I did lots of courses, um, went read lots of books and I completely analysed my performance over the last few years of the business that was running and I realised that you know, the reason why I quit alcohol is because some of my really poorest decisions I made were on a Monday morning after a heavy weekend. <laughs> and, you know, I'm not saying everybody, everybody to be yeah. have, has to be successful needs to quit alcohol because some people are really good, but I'm an all or nothing person. I'm not the kind of person that goes down the pub for a cup of beers. I'm the kind of person that's still there at three in the morning or going to the casino to play poker or, you know, going going out till the early hours to a club and then feeling lo- like death for, for days afterwards and that's not it's not what made the business go under but that was just me looking at what I wanted when I restarted was the least path of resistance to be able to get it all back and grow a business and I knew overeating and over drinking were going to get were, were were resistant paths so I just went about trying to get my mind in the best possible place and you said it earlier for some of the books you read you know I read mindful meditation books I read I, I read so many other things and podcasts and everything and just went into a massive rabbit hole of self-development and just focused and actually covid was the best thing that ever happened to us because we then went into a position where we could still work boris said you know if you do if you don't can't go to work if you can't work from home you can go to work you can do essential artwork. work we were doing highways work and other essential health and safety artwork. work and we just went and worked and the teams were twice as productive because we won't get stuck in traffic. I was more yeah. <laughs> productive because I could just get on the phones and just be emailing and un- writing sales and marketing strategies and um, getting the numbers sorted in the business and doing everything. And, um, yeah, that's where it really started to grow. And we, we did two years of trading the two best years of our, our lives, you know, so almost the same revenue numbers but with like half the amount of staff or uh, you know so much less staff and and that's how we regrew the business
0: Oh my i'm sitting here just listening to you going just relate can just relate far too much to all of this uh how did you manage to like rebuild the trust with people who you've worked for who've worked with you and then going forward as well trying to get a new business and stuff
1: so to be honest most of our clients were fine we were really worried when the business went under and most of our clients were like we just they were fine with it um you know we just said things have gone quite right we need to we've we've had to start another business yeah. we need to get back on your approved list and they just send us a form and we'd novate them, a lot of the stuff across um, because essentially it was still me and people buy from people And you build trust with clients like, you know, what you said earlier about, I think, I think you said it or or, or it might come in conversation, but people worry about people taking, you know, people that work for me in the past, people go, oh, if they leave, they're going to take your clients. Well, no, they're not quite often. If someone leaves, it's going to take them a long time to build a reputation and relationship with somebody for them to be able to get that, get your client because people build relationships with people and obviously we've been running 11 years by that point so there are a lot of the foundational relationships were already there and just having an honest you know one thing i'd say is i live my heart on my sleeve and being as honest as you can with people not bullshitting and just saying look this is the situation this is what's happened but we're still trading and we're going to go again we'd still really like to work for you and we didn't have one client that said no we don't want to work with you because they understood that, you know, things happen in life and that we were still going to deliver the same, same service and the same, be the same company as before, just with a different name and a different brand.
0: What was the biggest lesson that you learned from it all?
1: The biggest lesson, knowing your numbers, knowing your yep. numbers, know your numbers know them like even now I'm trying to get more and more granular with my numbers and I'm trying to always try to improve I've got a company metric sheet which has got all the company numbers everything from staff survey to cash flow to profit and loss to how many audits are done um, to looking at the balance sheet looking at the, num- the profit from last year to this year looking at the amount of quotes you're doing the marketing numbers and always trying to improve on, on that to make those make those decisions um so I'd say the biggest lesson is knowing your numbers and there might be some people listening to podcasts and going well that's just obvious but it, it's not to some people especially when you've yeah. hadn't, had not done any business business the- theory or, or anything like that um it wasn't obvious to me at the time you know I knew my, my I had money in the bank or I didn't have money in the bank that's as much as the numbers I knew yeah.
0: I think that's what it is like for a lot of people at the moment if it's if the zeros are in the correct place you're doing good yeah. if they're in the wrong place you've got no idea why they're in the wrong place
1: yeah
0: oh yeah so we'll move on to like the comeback tour as i have I've named yeah. on my little documents <laughs> so you went from one business to is it five you've got
1: now so there's four four but i've got more re- revenue streams than that so um yeah
0: are you well i'd say because i've got to know you more over the last hour are you still worried things could go wrong or do you have like backup plans now and things in place for you to not make those mistakes?
1: Still worried things go wrong. You know, things have got really quiet recently in the industry and we've had gone from having the best times over the last three years. Um, and the last month it's got really quiet and I've had to do a lot of, a lot of work with the team. Um, but now I'm in a position where I've got a sales guy, two managers and an office manager And before it would be me getting back in the trenches, having to phone everybody. But now I can phone the team or have my weekly one-to-ones with them and go, right, you need to do ABCD. You need to phone these clients. You need to do that. So and they go and do it, which is great. Yeah. And I still always have a worry about the future. I've got, you know, multiple businesses and, and revenue streams But a a tree surgery business is generally not a super high cash flowing business. You know, the profit margin is generally around 15 to 18%. And I know there's some companies out there that will be listening going 20, 30, 35%. But generally they're the companies that are still in their business and they've not got managers and they've not got the the structure. And if someone has got 30, 40%, then like that's, I I, I commend anybody that's doing that sort of net profit, but it in a in a tight you know a very tight profit industry which i would say tree surgery is you know you've got to turn over a million to make 150 grand that's a lot of work a lot of moving parts in the business so yeah i still have i'm always looked crunching the numbers and always forecasting and looking to the three in three months ahead and trying to work things out i don't fear the business will go under again i just don't want to have too much pressure on 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 the situation, if you know what. Too I mean.
0: much pressure, says the guy, who's now running four businesses. <laughs> <laughs> so, what does a, a typical day look like now compared to five, six years ago?
1: Um, so now I get wake up. Um, I've got a gym in my garage, so I'll go and spend. 40 minutes I don't like the gym at all but I do it because I have to i go and spend half hour 45 minutes in the gym before the kids get up and the kids get up and then I do breakfast and mess around play football with my lad um and get them ready for school and then they go off to school at half eight and then I then I then go off to work because my now my non-negotiable thing is spending time with kids in the morning first thing, rather than doing it at the end yeah. of the day, because anything can happen at the end of the day. Plus your head's spinning at the end of the day and you can't be fully present with them. And that's one thing I learned from the business going under is that your kids are only small for a very minute time. And it's really important to try and be present with them because before you know it, they're going to be telling me to pee off and oh, uh, yeah. the doors <laughs> in my face being teenagers and that's going to come all too quickly. So I generally spend time with family first. And then I then go about my day and at the moment because I've got the podcast, I've got the Tree Surgery Mastermind Group, I've got a property networking group, a property Airbnb business, another property investing business, the the tree surgery business um plus i've run a book club for a networking group i've got it's my my days are completely different every single day so they're not set so it's just me always me just trying to catch breath to try and get some (laughs) more content done for the mastermind or for um one of the courses i'm writing or for the 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 podcast
0: all right it's absolutely insane (laughs) (laughs) right so where's this uh, what was it the master class called Where, where's this idea came from then so
1: it part of my recovery was it was going down this self-development um sort of rabbit hole um and i then joined a mastermind and i was like what's a mastermind and basically you can do two sorts of Mentoring coaching you can either do a one to one mentoring where you just find a business coach or mentor and you have a meeting or a zoom call with him weekly fortnightly or monthly and he'll set you goals and actions and you'll do that um or you can do what they call one to many which is a mastermind and yeah. i then joined i've i've joined in the last <laughs> about six in the last eighteen months i've got a general business one which uh, there's five other business owners um I've been on two property ones because I want to do pu- public keynote speaking of, on, a, on a speaker one. I'm also on a mastermind about masterminds and <laughs> teach you how to run a mastermind yeah. and do it properly so your 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 mentees get the best value from it and you deliver the best service. Because for me, it's about get you know. It, it, yes, it will make me money. But I want it to be a win-win situation. I want to make money, but I want other people to be able to make money, create a business that works for them, get more time back to be with their families. And the idea with the mastermind is, is that you are on as you're on, when you're doing a group mentoring session. Everybody's learning from each other, not yeah. just me. You know, yes, I've got my experience. I can, you know, someone comes to me, right? I've got this problem. I need an office girl, or I'm, I need to take some staff on. What will you do? Will you do that? And I'll they give my thoughts on what they should do. But then everyone else will go around the room and say what their challenge is, and then it will you'll learn from other people. But what people what we do in the mastermind is is we do a everyone that comes on you do a ninety day planning session. So we work out what your five year goal is, what your year goal is. We break that down into a ninety day plan, which then gives you weekly actions. So and we do that every ninety days, one to one. So everyone gets a ninety day plan because we all spinning plates, life happens, yeah. and if you've not got a plan, then before you know it, six months has gone by and you're still in the same place as you were six months before. Then we do a monthly Zoom call, which is a mastermind where people can talk about their challenges. And also I do a weekly Facebook live Q&A session where people send the mentees sending their questions. I do it live on our private Facebook group and then people can watch it again. So they don't have to turn up weekly, but they can watch it again. And it can be like, what would you do with this? What would you do on a crane job? How would you do this? How would you do that? And then I just give my answers on a Facebook live. But the whole point of it is is—is looking back, and we've talked about this on this podcast, is, is what I would have done in the early days. If I'd have had a me, a, a yeah. mastermind, a mentor then, I guarantee that, and I know I would have done, I'm not saying it, this would be the same for everyone, I would have got to the, the place I wanted to get to quicker. I wouldn't have spent 10 years to get to 47 staff. I probably wouldn't have lost my business because I would have been putting in, you know, I teach people how to do the numbers, the sales and marketing, the systemization, and the culture. You know, I'm not saying I'm an expert in everything and I'm still learning myself, but I can also guide people to the right consultants, you know, trying to guide people to the right places and the right answers for them to basically learn from my mistakes. And I saw into the tree surgery industry and there isn't anyone doing mentoring like this. Yes, you can go and get a business coach and my business coach was okay, but he didn't understand tree surgery. You know, there's lots of business coaches out there. You can get a general business coach. But I thought, I've got 14 years experience. I'm not currently working in my business now. I've got a business that runs without me. I do three hours a week in that. Now, I want to be able to use that to be able to try and help other people. Yes, I want to make some money. We all do, you know. But if I can make some money and help other people make money and create that win-win scenario. And that's what the Mastermind is. It's basically a group mentoring program.
0: How can people find out about the mastermind? Because there's people now literally go on to Google, going, right. How do I spell his last name? No, I'm going. Right, yeah. What's it called again?
1: <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I don't actually have a, a website for it yet. I'm just in the in the creation point of that. Um, so the best way to to find me is just to go onto Facebook and drop me a message. Um, it's um, Henry H E N R I and then Guyben G H I J B E N. And, um, there's also a Facebook group, which I've started, which is the tree surgery business owners, Facebook group. So that's there for me to share some of my information. I want to share as much value to the world as I can for free. Um, and you can go on there and also it's there for other business owners to be able to collaborate, build relationships, ask questions, put stuff up, like on certain other forums, you put stuff up and people get trolled for putting something they might not be comfortable putting out to the world. So it's a, it's a Facebook group so people can talk and ask questions without feeling like they're going to get, you know, abused for saying something that might not be quite PC. Um, so they can go on that and find me from there. And I will also be running different webinars and trial masterminds. If anyone wants to try before you buy, I've kind of, I've run a couple of those already. Um, we've so far got nine people on the mastermind. Um, and just one other thing I do one-to-one, if people don't want to be on a mastermind, I also do one-to-one coaching but obviously it's better value for money to do it as a group than one-to-one because that's more expensive. And I'm going to be running, I'm starting the Tree Surgery Business Academy, which is going to be basically lots of online courses on how to do numbers, how to do sales and marketing, how to use LinkedIn, how to do different things like that. So um, I'm going to be doing a few courses and things like that, which will be mainly part of the mastermind package that people will get for free, but I might sell them as additional courses in the future. Mm -hmm.
0: For everyone wanting to know more, everything will be included in the descriptions and all over our social media pages as well. Henry, it's been a heck of a podcast. I've, <laughs> like, I've resonated with a lot of stuff tonight that I didn't think I would. And um, Yeah, it's been absolutely fantastic talking to you. Um, again, anyone who wants to reach out to Henry, look in the descriptions, all the information will be there. But Henry, thank you very much for coming on.
1: Thank you, Tom. I really appreciate it. And it's amazing what you're doing with the industry and this podcast, and I feel honoured to be here. So thank you.